Man, y'all almost want to get an instant replay on that because you think, I don't think I saw what I thought I just saw. <clears throat> just do it, he said. Say that with me. Just do it. Well, let's look at the Word of God this morning, um, and we want to turn to Acts chapter 2. And those of you who are taking up the, you know, the ushers are just great folks, but they, they really missed that, didn't they? You know, they, they missed that video. Um, Acts chapter 2, real controversial passage. So I want to ask the question, what is the meaning of baptism? You know, when we did the question series, we asked you the question last, last fall. If you had one question to ask God, what would it be? And many of you here in this church asked the question about baptism. And so we want to answer some of those questions this morning and hopefully answer all of your questions. And at the end of this service, we're going to do something for you that no other church in the world can do for you today. We can bring you into obedience by baptism. Now you say, well, you know, what are you talking about? You're the only church. Well, you're not anywhere else. This is the only place you are. And so evidently that's the only, only place it's going to work. And so we want to turn to Acts chapter 2 because what we have about baptism and the reason it's important is because there's so much confusion over the issue. Some people, some churches pour, some sprinkle, some immerse, some baptize babies, some do not. Some people say, well, it's essential. In fact, one extreme says it's, so assen it's essential for, for salvation. Therefore, it's crucial that you do it. The other extreme is, well, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation, so why bother? And so what does the Bible really teach? Because we look at this, and I'll tell you how important it is. Jesus began his ministry with baptism. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 3, New Testament book of Matthew, the third chapter of the very first book, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who was announcing that he was coming, was baptizing at the Jordan River. And Jesus showed up, as it were, as far as John was concerned, out of nowhere. And Jesus was baptized. And after that, before that, he did, we have no record of him doing anything, any miracles, any, any preaching, nothing. 30 years old, he was baptized by John the Baptist, and that began his ministry in the Lord. When he died on the cross, and he was resurrected on the third day, before he ascended up into heaven, he gave the last commandment to the disciples. And that last commandment to, to place in their mind above any other commandment, he says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so whatever baptism really means, it was very, very important to Jesus. He began his ministry with it. He ended his ministry with it. And so we look at Acts chapter 2, the very beginning of the church. And the reason I approach this passage, I don't want to skirt anything that's difficult. And this is one of the most difficult passages in the Bible to really understand in the balance of the rest of the scripture. And so as we look at it this morning, we want to ask four or five, about four questions. Number one, what is the meaning of baptism? Number two, how do we baptize? Number three, who can be baptized? And number four, when do you do it? And so let's look in the scriptures. Acts chapter 2 and verse 36. Let's begin in verse 36 because this is the, the end of the message that Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost. Now, Jesus Christ had ascended up into heaven. They had been praying in that upper room for all those days, and they were praying and praying and praying. And the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down upon them in that room. And immediately Peter began to preach the gospel message, and that is Jesus Christ 
died on the cross for our sins. He was resurrected on the third day. Now, here's what he said in verse 36 at the end of that message. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Well, they knew, they knew that they had done that. They had yelled out, give us Barabbas, give us Barabbas and, in the story of Jesus. And, and he was nailed to a cross. So this convicted them. And because, I know that because of verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced, convicted in the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Now, that's the question for all of us today. What shall we do? God, I understand that you are the living son of God. I understand that you died on the cross for my sins. You rose again on the third day. Nothing, therefore, is more important than that. I mean, I mean, having God in the flesh here resurrected on the third day. So, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do. And it's the whole idea of who is on the throne of my life. And if Jesus Christ is on the throne of my life, that's my question. God, I don't know what to do. What would you have me to do? Well, let's look at it. We look at what baptism doesn't mean. Okay. Peter said to them, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I read that, as I read that verse, this is how I would interpret it by, in the English Bible. And it's very easy to do that. First of all, you repent of your sins. You turn away from your sins, the lordship of your own life, and turn to Jesus Christ to save you. Secondly, you get baptized in water. Then, then only then, will you get forgiveness of sin and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, the problem to that, interpreting that way, as we look at the English Bible interpreting it that way, is that the rest of the Bible does not teach that. In fact, I would go on to say that if this is true, the true interpretation of this verse, the, most of the church did not have that message. John, in John's gospel, it says this, but as many as received him, to, give, to, to them gave he the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Nothing about baptism and having to be baptized in order to be saved in the entire book of John, John's gospel, which centers, by the way, on salvation more than any other gospel. Then in the book of Romans, we find the first five chapters are about all about uh, salvation in Christ. The next three chapters about growing in Christ and then applying it in the rest of the book. And in that book, the most doctrinally heavy book in the entire Bible we find nothing about what we call regeneration baptism. In other words, you've got to be baptized in order to go to heaven. Then we find in the book of Ephesians, another verse by verse, Ephesians, because it's a shorter book, is probably the most doctrinally packed book as far as the teachings of the early church. It says, by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any person should boast. So really, when you think about it, if I have to get baptized, it's kind of a work. Nothing in the book in Ephesians is about regeneration baptism. Now, here is a principle of interpretation. Okay, when you're interpreting the Bible, one, one principle is scripture interprets scripture. In other words, you've got a hard passage. This is one of the hardest passages in the Bible to understand. I'll show you, share with you why in just a moment. And you, what you do, you go to verses that are simpler to understand in order to interpret that. Now, that's true among any, almost any literature that you read. Secondly, 
God majors on the major themes of the Bible. The, the major theme of the Bible is salvation. So he makes it very, very clear on how to be saved. Now, when you're talking about other themes of the Bible, the second coming of Christ that we uh, talked about during our study in the book of Revelation just a few weeks ago, the fact that he's coming back is a major doctrine. How the little details about it are more minor doctrines that people kind of disagree with. A major doctrine in the Bible is made very, very clear. And over and over and over and over again, we keep coming back to it. And one of the things about the Bible, it teaches that we're all sinners separated from God. We all need a Savior. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for our sins. And as many as received him, to them gave you the power to become the sons of God. So what does Acts 2 really teach? I want you to look at this one word. It says, repent and each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus for. Now this word for, and this is the problem, this word for can mean many, many different things. And by the time our English Bible was translated, what, about A.D. 1300, infant baptism and baptism regeneration was being practiced in the church. And the church that really was in charge of interpreting, for example, the King James Version of the Bible in 1611, of the Church of England, believes in infant baptism and baptismal regeneration. So when they looked at this Greek word eis, they translated it for, and that's a legitimate translation. I'm not trying to argue that. But there are also other legitimate translations. In fact, that word, that little word, can mean 17 different things in the Greek language, eis. It could mean, for example, because, or for the purpose of, or in order to. And so, let me give you, okay, for example, Billy, you know, back in the Western days, Billy the Kid, Jesse James, wanted for murder. Now, does that mean that you're trying to recruit Billy the Kid to, to commit a murder for you? No, you're, he's wanted because he has committed murder. So if you change this word to simply to because, then it balances with the rest of the scripture that you must repent of your sins in order to be saved. And when that happens, you re of course you're gonna be baptized, but then you receive forgiveness of sins when you repent. And because of this, you want to be baptized and because, because you have been forgiven of your sins and receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit of God. So as we look at this, here's the confusion. There are four different baptisms in the Bible. By the way, I know I've got four points, but I'm spending most of my time on this point. Okay? So just kind of relax. You keep, you know, don't start looking at your iPhone, watch, clock, you know. Um, you know, sundials, any, anything you have. Spend most of my time on this point. Four different baptisms in the New Testament alone. One, number one, the baptism of John. In fact, that's what Peter was doing here when he talks about repentance. He's really connecting John the Baptist's baptism with the Old Testament or the intertestamental period. Now, I know that's a, a big word, but basically between the book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, and the first book of the New Testament, Matthew, there's a 400-year period of silence. There's no scripture written during that time. It's the Maccabean period. And many people wanted, uh, were attracted to the Jewish faith. Just like today, maybe people are in America are, are attracted to Eastern mysticism. It was kind of a popular thing during this time to be attracted to the Jewish faith. So the Jews came up with a plan. And the plan was, if you wanted to become a Jew, you, 
you had to do certain things. One of them was to be baptized because then you were declaring that you were moving from your faith to the Jewish faith. So John, because he was preaching to a Jewish audience, because he was connecting all the dots, talked about a baptism of repentance. That's what he said. In fact, let me just read you a verse here. It says in Matthew 3:11, before Jesus was baptized, it says, as for me, John says, I baptize you with water for repentance. He was preparing the way of the Lord. John the Baptist was the guy that was the forerunner. He was like the guy with the machete going through the jungle. And he was warning that Jesus Christ was coming. That was a great hope for the Jewish people. The Messiah was finally going to come. Now we need to get ready. How do we get ready? We repent of our sins. You show a sign of repentance by getting baptized. Now the thing is, John's baptism is no more. We don't do John's baptism because Jesus Christ has already come. Second baptism was the actual baptism of Jesus in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus came and he entered the water of the Jordan River because the Bible says there was much water there. I've been to the Jordan River. It's it's a great place to get get, uh, baptized. And and so uh, Jesus was coming. And here's what John said to Jesus. But John tried to prevent him saying, Lord, I, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me. But Jesus answering said, Permit it at this time, for this way is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. He baptized him. What does it mean by fulfilling all righteousness? Keep in mind, Jesus began his ministry at the baptism. Why there? Well, in the Old Testament, you have Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Messiah coming twice. The first time he's coming as a suffering servant, Isaiah chapter 53 other passages in Isaiah, other passages in Zechariah, and all the Old Testament books. All right, he's coming. It's a picture here of him dying on the cross. And then other books, like Daniel and others, talk about him coming the second time, coming as a coming king. And so if you look at him coming all at one time as a suffering servant and coming king, you become very confused because he's coming twice. So as he is theoretic, I'm just saying theoretically, He was born in this world. He lived 30 years on this earth. Now he was making a decision as a man, as a human being, which role to take. And his baptism says, I'm identifying with mankind and I'm going to make a beeline now for the cross. And three and a half years later, he died there on the cross. We are not making a beeline for the cross. We don't have that baptism. The baptism of Jesus was a one-time thing. Thirdly, is the true baptism. What is that? You say, oh, the bat, you know, this way or that's the way the, you know, the evangelical church. What? No, this, this is the true baptism. It's called a spirit baptism. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. The Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Jesus Christ or the church. Whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves are free, and we were all made a drink of one spirit. Now, the very moment that you and I receive Christ into our heart, we receive that gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes us in a sense. We are immersed in the Holy Spirit. And at that point, we become a Christian believer. The Bible puts it this way. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again. When we receive Christ, we died to the old way of life. And because the Holy Spirit of God came into our heart, we were raised to walk in a new way of life. Now that's, when you read a lot of the rest of the New Testament, you have to ask yourself the question, 
Is this talking about water baptism or is it talking about spirit baptism? Because unless you know there's a differentiation between the two, you can't really understand what's going on in some of the other books of the Bible. Now, there's a way that we express inner baptism. There's a symbolism from the outside that expresses the inside. God does this all the time. Look at the Lord's Supper. We come before the Lord's Supper. We can do this many, many times. We do this several times a year in the church. We have the table. We have the bread representing the body of Christ, the cup representing the, um, the, the blood of Jesus Christ. And when we partake of the Lord's Supper, what we're saying is, I have good communion with God. There's no sin in my life. All my sin has been forgiven. I, I'm good. And we testify to those around us of that. And that's why it's so important to do that periodically and consistently. But there's another symbolism here of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ died. He was buried. He rose again. When we got saved again, we died in the old way of life, raised to walk in a new way of life. So water baptism, immersing into the water, is a symbolism of what has already gone place in our heart. Now you say, well, is that all there is, just a picture? No, it's not. I sum up this point with three things. Three reasons why the Bible says we need to be baptized. One, and the most, maybe, maybe the most important one, it's our profession of faith, it's our testimony. Now in modern times, 2021st century, especially the 20th century, it became very popular to have a public invitation, a crusade style invitation, where people are walking forward and that was kind of like your profession of faith. But that's not in the Bible. The profession of faith in the Bible was to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. Now, sometimes they came forward. They were near a body of water and the preacher would, said, would say, you know, you come forward right now <clears throat> so you can follow the Lord in believer's baptism right now. But the profession of faith was a baptism itself. In fact, um, I, back in my last church, we had um, several um, people that came from Russia and Romania. Guys, if you don't mind picking up that water on the front row right there and uh, coming up here and let's get him on camera now. <laughs> Turn around. <Let's... laughs> We're informal here. <clears throat> I know and I forgot it. Um, hopefully that'll do me some good. Doesn't sound like it, but it might. Now in Russia, we had a lot of people from Russia and Romania um, come behind the Iron Curtain and all that uh, in, in communist Russia and Romania back in the 80s come and live in Atlanta. And they, some of them would come to our church. We had probably a dozen people from those two countries combined. And I would ask them about baptism, one, their, their, uh, their testimony. And one of them said, to me in Russia, if you said, I'm a believer in Christ, but never got baptized, they never persecuted you. You might not be able to get promotions, things like that, but as soon as you got baptized, you lost your job. And it became really, you know, it could be kind of a death threat type situation. Same was in Romania. So even the world understands that you're not really serious until you declare your colors. You're not really serious until you take your really stand for Jesus Christ and profess him as your Savior and Lord in public by public baptism. Chuck, Chuck Colson has said this, most Westerners take baptism for granted, but for many in the world, the act requires immense courage. 
in countries like Nepal. It once meant imprisonment for Soviet or Chinese or Eastern Bloc believers who I was talking about. It was like signing your own death warrant. And we can see that all throughout the world. People say, you know, in fact, sometimes you ask people, have you ever received Christ in your life? If you were to die right now, do you know that you go to heaven? You know, all those kind of questions. Oh, I've been baptized. And what they're saying is baptism saves them. That's wrong. But they're also understanding, however, that baptism somehow along in the equation is important. But the second thing it is, it is rather, is a picture of your salvation. We've already talked about that. We've already talked about the symbolism that's involved in the baptism. So it's a testimony, it's a picture, and thirdly, it's an act of obedience to the Lord. In Matthew chapter 28, again, it says, go and therefore and baptize people. Go into all the nations. I, uh, back when I was uh, a kind of a youth evangelist, and not, not officially, but I just was called upon to do a lot of meetings, week-long meetings in churches. A lot of times it was youth, then it moved to adults. I remember going to this one church about three different times, and this one, these couple of people uh, came forward to receive Christ all three years. <laughs> and so I asked the pastor, I said, what's going on? He said, well, they just, they just refused to be baptized. They just don't want to get out in public and do that. They don't want to, one of them didn't want to get their hair wet or something. And and, and, and said, the problem is they don't have any assurance. They've never really declared themselves publicly. And so they're always going through the doubts. It's an act of obedience. How can you say that as you look in that mirror of Eris head that we we're talking about the last couple of weeks um, in the Harry Potter story, and as Harry looked in the mirror, he saw his parents because that was his greatest desire. His friend saw something else because that was his greatest desire. And when we look in the mirror, we say, oh, yo, I, I see Jesus because he's my greatest desire. And then Jesus says, okay, what I want you to do next, your first act of obedience after becoming a Christian, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go outside today and be baptized. He says, oh, I don't know if I can do that. But you're my Lord. But I don't think I can do that. You see, it's an act of obedience. And even if we didn't understand it, even if we had no clue of what it meant, it's just simply that, a, 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 a time where we get obedient in line with the Lord. So how do you baptize? You know, again, some people sprinkle, some people pour. The word baptizo, baptism, comes from a Greek word, baptizo, meaning to dip or um, to immerse. And so it was really before the intertestamental period that I talked about, it wasn't even a spiritual word. It was just a Greek word that meant to immerse something. It had nothing to do with any kind of ceremony involved in a church or in the synagogue or anywhere else. And so the word baptizo means to dip. So if a blacksmith was taking a horseshoe, a very hot, on fire type horseshoe, he'd, he, would, he would baptize it in the water, completely dip it in so it would cool off. When you're going to dye a cloth in the uh, New Testament times, you would immerse it or baptize the cloth completely in the dye in order to change its color. And so it was just simply a secular word, just like any other word. And then it was adopted from the Jewish faith to the Christian faith to actually have some sort of meaning in the Christian life. And so what about being poured on or, or sprinkled? Now you come today and you say, well, I've done that. I mean, uh, are you doubting my salvation? No, this has really nothing to do with the actual receiving of Christ. That's a separate thing that we can talk, we've talked about many, many times. This is what you do after you're saved. And many people, 
They've been sprinkled on as a baby or they've been poured on as an adult. And I don't really want to get into all that, but let me just say this, that some of the founders of these Christian faiths, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist church said this, no one was baptized any other way but immersion until AD 250 and sprinkling or pouring was not practiced until AD 1300. Buried with him alludes to baptizing by immersion according to the custom of the first church. Martin Luther, who was the reformer, said this. He said, I would have those who are to be baptized to be entirely immersed as the word imparts and the mystery signifies. And then John Calvin, another reformer, the word baptize signifies to immerse. It is certain that the immersion was the practice of the ancient church. Now, I know that what I just said a few moments ago, that the picture was not really the main thing, but it is the beautiful thing. It's just like in a wedding, you know, I could just, you know, stand up in front of, uh, I'm, I'm about to, uh, my, my nephew's about ready to get married over in Georgia. I'm going to go there in a few weeks to marry them. And I said, well, here's the ceremony. Do you? Yeah. Do you? Yeah. Okay. You're married. Nothing beautiful about that at all. But you go through the vows, you exchange the rings. It makes it meaningful. It makes it memorable when you go through the ceremony. So the symbolism is, is important. Now, sprinkling or pouring does not really symbolize the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying that I'm criticizing every, every other church in the area. All I know is I'm calling you today, apart from all the uh, the politicizing of everything. I'm just calling you today to ask the question, God, what would you have me to do? What would you have? How can I be obedient to you? And I want to be baptized the same way Jesus was baptized. Now, why is the symbolism important? Well, let me ask you this. So suppose we were going out here uh, in just a few moments. We're around the baptismal pools and tubs. And uh, you, you just came up to me and we just, or I came up to you and we just started talking. And I said to you, you know, I, I haven't met your husband. Oh, you haven't. No, well, do you have a picture of him? Well, I do. And you pull out, of course, not your wallet, right? You pull out your phone. And you go, Ch -ch 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 -ch. well, there he is right there. And I looked at it and I said, wow, he looks like Denzel Washington. And, and you say, it is. It's Denzel Washington. I said, you're married to Denzel Washington? And you say, well, no, but he's a lot handsomer and he's got a lot more money than my husband. And any picture will do, right? I mean, you can show me a picture of a bulldog. It doesn't matter. You're married to a bulldog? Well, no, but who cares? Well, see, I still don't know from the outside what your husband looks like. And from the outside, and for you, you don't know what that spirit baptism looks like. There's no symbolism there. And so you ask the question then, who can be baptized? Who can do it? Well, it's believers only. You look in the Bible here in um, chapter 2 and verse 39. For the promises for you and your children, for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized. And that day they added about 3,000 souls. Now, notice there's a pattern here. They preached the gospel, they received Christ, then they were baptized. That happened over and over and over and over in the book of Acts 
and really throughout the Bible. In fact, over here in Acts chapter eight, there was a story of an Ethiopian eunuch, a guy that was a proselyte of the Jews. He'd become a Jew because he wanted to be. And so he was studying the scriptures and he was looking for something else. And so God called this guy, Philip, out of this great revival that he was preaching. I mean, thousands of people were being saved. He called him out and he says, I want you to go out in the wilderness. He did and he met up. God had him meet up with this Ethiopian eunuch. And he began to preach Jesus to him. In fact, let me just read it to you. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And they went along the road and they came to water. And the eunuch said, look, water. See, he remembers from uh, being baptized as into the Jewish faith. What prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. They both went into the water, Philip, as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. And so we see a pattern here. And the pattern over and over again, first you preach the gospel or teach the gospel. Then a person receives Christ and only then are they baptized. It always falls. Your salvation should always be followed by that one time event of being baptized. The question is, you say, well, I've done that. The question is, when did you do it? Because if you did it before you were actually a Christian, well, you got wet, but it wasn't truly scriptural baptism because it always comes after the conversion experience. Um, my wife, Pam, um, had an experience where she was about six years old and she remembers the pastor coming over to her house, very small church. It had about 50, 70 between 50 and 70 people coming uh, to the church. And so the pastor came over to share Christ with her because she was asking a lot of questions. And she says, I remember the pastor coming over and I remember getting baptized, but I don't ever remember praying to receive Christ. And this came to light about after, a year, year and a half after we were married, we were uh, in seminary and Jack Taylor was, uh, you know, some of you have written, uh, read his, some of his books, but Jack Taylor preached at our church uh, that night, and he preached about assurance of salvation, how you know for sure that you're going to heaven. And so on the way home, she asked me the question. She said, um, did you like that message? What'd you think of that message? And I said, well, it was good, but I don't have any struggles with assurance of salvation. So it, you know, it was good, but you know, and she says, well, I do. I said, what? And she says, I was saved when I was supposedly when I was six years old, my parents tell me the story, but I don't remember getting saved. I just don't remember. And so when we at home, we were in the car, we got home, we went over the gospel and she prayed to receive Christ. Now she would tell you, she's not sure whether she was six or she was 22 years old, but really she would probably say, yeah, I was probably saved as a teenager. Really? That's when I really got committed to the Lord. But we got in our next church. And another gentleman came and preached, and he talked about baptism coming after the salvation. Don't be baptized on the wrong side of your salvation. She came forward and she followed the Lord as a pastor's wife, probably in her mid-20s by now, maybe late 20s. And she, uh, she had prayed to receive Christ at some point, she felt like, after the time that she was baptized, whenever that was, whenever that salvation occurred. And she entered the waters of baptism. The pastor's wife, she got baptized right there at Briarwood Baptist Church. And so you may be sitting here this morning and thinking, 
wow, you know, I've not been really obedient to the Lord on the right side of the cross. I felt, I mean, I made some kind of decision when I was six, seven, eight years old. I got really saved later as a, as a teenager or an adult, and I haven't been baptized since. You, remember what the pattern is. First, you hear the gospel, then you receive the gospel, receive Christ, and then you follow the Lord in believer's baptism. It's for believers only. And you say, what about children? You know, I've been baptized, somebody said, as a child. And this can be a, a rather confusing thing, but no infant, let me just say this, no infant recorded in recorded history was ever baptized before A.D. 251. That's about 120 years after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. For the first 120 years, the church practiced believer's baptism. It could be a six or seven-year-old or a 10-year-old. It could be an adult, but they practiced believer's baptism, the gospel first, then receiving Christ and knowing what you're doing, receiving Christ, and then following the Lord in baptism. In fact, there is no, nothing in the Bible, anything, even pointing remotely to infant baptism. It's just not in the Bible. Now, I know other churches, sometimes they do it as a covenant relationship with the Old Testament, and other, but others do it for, you know, they say, oh, that's when I was saved. I was saved when I was sprinkled as a baby. You had no idea what you were doing. How can you say I've received Christ? I've been born again when you've been barely born the first time. And so it's for believers only. Listen, this is a privilege. It's not a have to. It's really a privilege to be obedient to the Lord, to say I'm taking my stand for the Lord and I'm doing what God wants me to do I'm getting in line with what he wants me to do, and I'm declaring my colors. I'm declaring my faith proudly before everyone else. Amen. We see this in the, in the Bible. In fact, when is the best time to get baptized? Well, let me ask you, when is the best time to obey God? Somebody tell me. Right now. Say that to me. Say it again. Say it again with some feeling. The best time to obey God is right now. Now, I don't know if my kids, when they got baptized, understood all the symbolism and all that. All I know is they understood the gospel, they received Christ, and they understood that this was their profession of faith. And they immediately, as soon as possible, got baptized. This is a privilege. In fact, the Bible says, Acts twenty-two sixteen. now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized. Thanks for listening. You can find more sermons and other information at crosslifechurch.com.